Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. You know, Jason and I often talk about being of a certain age. <laughs> well, being of that certain age means we were teenagers in the 1980s. Yes. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. I am Timothy Harvey. And I am Jason Hyde. I want to give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this as a podcast, which is how this all got started back in the day. Uh, we've got listeners in Australia, the Philippines, Spain, Germany, the UK. Good to have all of you with us. And I, yes. I went looking back, because we have been doing this for a while, this is our 322nd episode, and so I thought... I wonder if we've covered this topic before, because on occasion you and I have had the had the 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 conversation about repeating topics, and we've done it a couple sure. of times. We've had a, we've had one. I think I think the challenge of adapting material. I think we've done maybe five times or something in the last year and a half or so. But I went back and well, looked at all the there's been plenty names. of there's been plenty of material that has been adapted, which yeah. brings that up again. Yeah. So I was looking at looking back on our archive, mm -hmm. and I find two different shows over the course of the last ten years, <clears throat> and one of them is episode fifty. That's how far back it goes. Episode fifty, uh, which was basically we were talking about you know pop culture, and you know it was our I love the eighties part one i guess i guess tonight's part two sure. and then episode 60 we talked about games from the 80s mm. so the video game stuff we were starting to talk about you know because mad max was you know coming out and we were talking about various right. different things the 80s for us and we got to talk about video games in that one so those are the only two official discussions that we've had uh, with regard to the 80s. Now, it's come up in other conversations and other episodes where we're talking different oh, topics, sure. right. which is how we got to this point tonight where we're going to be talking about the 80s. So, anyway, <laughs> let's see. Well, and the thing is, is that um, for good or for ill, we are... And have been living through the time of the franchise, right? And so many films that are franchises that have stood the test of time, um, and quite a few have come back again re in the last couple of years, got their start in the 1980s. The 1980s was a very rich period for yeah. filmmaking. And there was a lot, there were a lot of clunkers in there too. Don't, don't misunderstand. Some of them are, are guilty pleasures. But the there was a up through the sixties and seventies, we were looking at you know the westerns were still king. Crime thrillers, Crime thrillers. were 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 something that had really had romantic comedies, um, which really blew up in the eighties as well. But this is all stuff that you know, and dramas, of course. Um, this was all stuff that was this, what you found in the theaters uh, predominantly. And then, of course, in the 70s, you had, you know, the explosion of things like Star Wars, which suddenly opened up the science fiction landscape. And, and it changed 
you know, uh, Jaws, of course, uh, the changing the idea of the blockbuster, right? Right. And so, but in the 1980s, we saw this explosion, really, of of genre content, and some of it um, really, you know, shaped uh, the landscape of what were, you know, what science fiction and horror and fantasy were going to be, uh, even to today. We I mean, we just had, you know, the, they just rebooted the Hellraiser franchise or made a new film in it. It's hard to, we'll talk about that franchise because that's one of the films from the 80s. But And, um, and funny you should misspeak because the Hellblazer series, <laughs> we're going to be getting a new movie there too. Well, the thing is that Hellblazer as a comic was also an 80s thing. Yeah. Um, because Alan Moore and then John Constantine Times uh, rolled out of, of uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run. Speaking so, of which, yeah, I mean, so let, me, there's let these... me interrupt you there because uh, you mentioned Alan Moore, and and that brings up the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We got news today that Kevin O'Neill, the artist on those books, passed away after a long illness. So we get that oh, news. No. So yeah, Kevin oh, Kevin no. O'Neill. Uh, oh, no it's a shame. Works. I mean, yeah. So if you're if you've not read those. Um, your mileage may vary on the later parts of the series. There's a point where you could realize just how angry Alan Moore is. If you weren't already aware just how angry Alan Moore is, he's angry about a lot of things. Um, but there's a point in the later in the later run of the series where you're like, wow, you don't like the modern era of entertainment in anything, <laughs> do you? And that's fine. He's allowed to have those opinions, right? That's yeah. his, you know, that's how he feels. But the first couple of collections and you can find them in a comic store near you go support your local comic store um or order them you know wherever you want to get them depends on where you are right uh but those first two collections are fantastic and if you are a fan of of uh um, classical characters being mixed together that's a whole little subgenre of its own and also the artist, you know, the, the the work, the art in that is incredible because there's so many hidden details. There's there are there are websites. It's like the annotated League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because there is so much detail and so many yeah. visual yeah. treats for those who want to explore baked into those books. So that's a terrible shame. He's he was a fantastic artist and and really gave. I mean, certainly Alan Moore's writing is something that is a character of its own, but his artwork was was truly one of the the highlights of that story because it was so expressive and so energetic and so and, distinctive too i mean it didn't look like any it was so distinctive it didn't look like oh, anything yeah. anybody, it else anybody else's stuff and it, and it really worked for the series so um fantastic work it's definitely as a legacy it's worth standing on but definitely go check that out folks i highly recommend it um if you I, I hate to do this because it's it's kind of painful how bad the show was, but it had, you know, Robert Carlyle in it. Once Upon a Time, if you were ever a fan of that show, and there were a lot of people who were fans in the first season, so, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, that was, it's like that, only so much better and so much darker well, and so much funnier. It's funny you should mention Once Upon a Time because Once Upon a Time is kind of a ripoff of Fables. Bill Willingham's book. Bill yeah. Willingham's book. And which... Fables is back. If you're not folks aren't if you if you are a fan of that series and, and haven't caught the fact that it's come back, he's picked up the story 
uh, and 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 taking it in a in a whole new direction based on how he ended it. It's it's, yeah. it's really quite. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Now was fables uh, fables in the '90s, right? Um, yeah, that was okay. that was later. Right. Um, so but it's don't... certainly you know again, it's it's another thing that if you're if you're looking for if you're looking for something to keep you occupied for a while, there's quite a few up. Uh, 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 issues in in the fables first run and yeah. it's really clever i mean i've been a fan of of a lot of bill willingham stuff not everything he's done but i've been a fan of a lot of his stuff since way back in the 80s he had a comic book called the elementals that's right um, which was uh superheroes there were not that there were no superheroes in the world it was just not a thing until four people died and they came back and they all had superpowers. And the only way you can get superpowers in the elemental universe is to die first. So that's <laughs> fun. Um, but the it was it was a victim of it was an indie comic publisher. I want to say it was Comico. And they went through a journey as a publisher. And unfortunately, they went under. And so the original run just petered out it just stopped um and then it came back and it wasn't the same and eventually he wasn't even writing it anymore right it was somebody else and it just you know i mean th but again that first set of issues where he's just really exploring this world is are, are really clever and the artwork was great because he was he's an artist himself in fact willingham got his start um really the thing that that was his trademark for like a lot of people at that time. I mean, certainly you have writers and artists are doing their own stuff. You see that still now, of course, but I mean, he was, he was writing and drawing the comic and eventually he was like, I can't do both. Okay. I'll write <laughs> somebody else can draw it. <laughs> but I always liked his art style too. So. Yeah. By the way, um, the, uh, the, the artwork that's behind Mr. Harvey let me see if I can drag it in here real quick and uh, and show people because this is something. Oh, when did I do this? This is uh, what a couple of two three years ago. What's the date on this thing? Mm -hmm. time, yeah. Yeah. So this is a wallpaper that I did. Oh, 2018. So four years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the wallpapers that I designed just so we could have stuff. And the original idea was that uh, maybe eventually we make these available for people to download and, you know, fans could have sci-fi for me artwork on their computers. And, and we haven't done that yet. But, you know, maybe, so maybe about, when we crowdfund the, the print. My book, newer computer. Yeah. The nice thing about my new computer is that the webcam is is the you know all this stuff improves over time and you can see I mean there's obviously some tracing here right yeah, around my hand that just happens with I don't have a green screen behind me but that's just it this is as sharp and clear as it is and and the edges on on me is are sharp and clear as they are without a green screen that's pretty you know I like it when the technology does what I want it to. Yeah, now we just have to figure out uh, solid internet connections all the time. <laughs> oh my God, I'm saying, uh, folks, I, I don't know if any of you are dealing with this at home. We're we're buffering a little bit, and we still got some audio pops. And I I have yeah. to wonder if that's a Zoom artifact. It it very may be. So Zoom fo again, folks. Okay, a little little in the weeds here, and you'll note we're digressing. This is what we do here. Mm. Um, 
you know, there's at least one digression per episode. You're guaranteed. We promise. Um, there's a uh, Zoom compresses your audio and your video, and and to some, as somebody who regularly works with Zoom for recording trainings for my job, um, there's pros and cons to this. I mean, they you can actually get some beautiful, clean audio from Zoom, surprisingly good audio, um, because of how they compress stuff. There's some downsides too, yeah. which is you can get some very interesting video artifacts and some very interesting audio artifacts sometimes too. So eh, it giveth it taketh away. Um, personally, I am struggling with internet issues because although I have Google Fiber, um, we had an outage in my neighborhood three or four weeks ago now. And ever since that was quote unquote fixed, my internet has been janky as all hell. Yeah. Um, so, and even though, I mean, I've got a new box and everything, so i sigh heavily <laughs> and go about my day so yeah, it says, anyway. if it was the 80s the internet and audio would work perfect because the 80s were so amazing <laughs> <laughs> okay so those of you who were alive during the 80s um know there uh if that the internet was a thing but we didn't have it um we couldn't you know the the the, the average person didn't have the internet um, that was the 90s and even then it was dial up and folks let me tell you in this era of instant everything yes <laughs> i think one of the reasons why so many things in terms of the the uh, immediacy of all this stuff just washes over me is because i'm old enough to remember dial all right now i i got this is what it sounded like AOL, folks. I mean, it's bad yeah. enough. You remember, remember a few weeks ago I pulled out the cassette tape that yeah. I still had in the wrapper? Yeah. Remember that? Um, it, you know, I, I, I'm sure in at least one of the boxes I have, there's probably an AOL, AOL desk <laughs> somewhere. My dad in, still has an AOL email address. And I've probably got a disc around here somewhere, too. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, they they gave you a thousand of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, yeah, and, you, and, you and the Internet. You couldn't talk on the phone and use the Internet at the same time. Right. It was not a thing that could happen. Right. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say good times. And I have a lot of fond memories of the 80s because, again, I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the nineties are all around and we do have the internet and we were so lucky. We felt so happy to have the internet because like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And we just dealt with the fact that it took 4,000 years to download a video, a, a 30 <laughs> second video. It took, oh, it, you waited overnight yeah. for that, you know, to download the I, pre, the, the trailer to the, to the movie you wanted I, to see. I remember those days. I remember. So, um, I guess see that's a that's a good that's a good way to segue into one of the movies from the eighties that everybody should see. War games. Now you've suddenly I've, I've suddenly lost your audio, Tim. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, I, there you are. Did you mute yourself? Yeah. I so I did. I, I realized I didn't have YouTube open. We like to see, be able to see the comments, right? And then. And ah. depending on where I left YouTube last, I either had audio or not. Right. Uh, blasting. So I wanted to make sure that I jumped in there. I didn't like 
Yeah. Yeah. Play whatever ad they were running. War Games and Red Dawn. Those two movies are are must-see. So I would say War Games more than Red Dawn. Red Dawn has not aged well for me. But I will tell you that if you're given the choice between watching the original Red Dawn and the remake Red Dawn, mm, mm. No question. Go, to the, go to the original. No it's question. not a great movie. Um, objectively speaking, I don't think it's a great movie. But I'll tell you what, at the time, it was one that we really, really loved. Yeah. I mean, there were there was it was, you know, and that's and that's one of the things about eighties films is that some of them legitimately are not good movies. Um, or they're not great movies in terms of production value or acting. But yeah. some of them have built up they they there was this sort of um they stay pleasures even even more than guilty pleasures because again and we've talked about the downsides of nostalgia certainly on this show but we've also talked about the positives of nostalgia the way some of this stuff makes you still makes you feel right when you're watching it and we talked i mean star wars is an example right you when you when the when the, when the trailer for the for the first of the new of the prequel uh, sequels came out you and i talked about how that you know, the swell of the music makes you feel when you watched it because it, it makes you feel the way you felt when you watched it the very first time you know in the 70s i mean if you're old enough to remember that that's that, yeah. that stuff's hardwired into you um it's the power of memory but i mean you know some of the stuff with the 80s is kind of like that too well and and there's a there's a question i mean ms makes an interesting point uh, uh asking a question how much of the films of the 80s are an outreach of the collective mood of society. Because you look at the 80s, and you look at the films of the 80s, Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonja, um, Red Dawn, um, Heat, uh, uh, Red, Red Heat, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a Russian, Russian soldier coming up, up against Jim Belushi. Uh, you've got War Games, you've got all of these films, Cloak and Dagger, a lot well, yeah, some of, of this stuff of was inspired by the Cold War, which Cold was still War. going on in the 80s. Yeah. And, Even and, and the Star on, Trek the horror like side, on the horror side of things, um, there was, because folks, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great horror to enjoy that doesn't have social commentary that's particularly obvious, but a lot of the horror in the 80s had very strong social commentary. And that's something that horror has been um no no not well not okay in, in some ways yes but a lot of horror again if you look at films like they live um you look at a lot of well you look at a lot of john carpenter john carpenter has a whole lot of social commentary in his stuff yeah um but so there, a lot of horror films um especially in the 80s were reactions to things in society um and that's just and horror has always been a uh, an avenue, uh, not not just in the U.S. Of course, we got the show in Foreign Bodies, where we talk about horror from around the world. A lot of horror, um, especially especially in countries where you're not supposed to talk about things, mm -hmm. horror is an avenue to talk about those things without, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some there's some horror filmmakers who have some, snuck some stuff into their stories that have been very very critical of the, of. of the governments that they're they're living under and horror has been doing that for a long time um but yeah i mean so the 80s had certainly has you know you could i mean brain dead and pumpkin head <laughs> are are not going to talk about are not talking about social commentary the same way that they live or you know i mean so yeah but i mean uh pumpkin head is 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 
talking about a certain kind of English horror. It's it's, it's folk horror, um, but you know, Brain Dead is not. Brain Dead is talking about your your mom's an overpowering force in your life, and you got to break free and grow up. I mean, when did it's a different when did Phantasm come out? The first one. That was Phantasm. What, 80, um, I want to say Phantasm was the eighties. I will have to look that uh-huh. up. Uh, um, because, or maybe the first one was the 70s. I don't know. MS says, don't forget Phase Zero of Marvel Studios, Howard the Duck. That kind of could be looked at as a horror picture, maybe, in, in, <laughs> well, in a certain it was, light. Well, it was certainly horrific. From a certain point um, of view. Although, I'll tell you what. Like a lot of films from that time, um, a lot of pop comedy movies and howard the duck was an attempt to be funny um don't thank you uh, 79 79 so yeah but that's the first phantasm and there have been you know plenty of sequels on quite a few of them came out in the 80s um but the um uh, you know as much of a mess that howard the duck is you have to consider how ambitious and risky it was i mean it failed yeah. but they took a chance on you know, this crazy story. Well, he's an obscure Marvel comics character, guys. I mean, he had a, he had his own series, but I mean, you know, how many, how many people, how many people, but the actual comic book fans in the audience and and a huge number of the MCU fans have never read an issue. Yeah. How many of them even got the reference when Howard the Duck shows up in, in the MCU? I mean, just, for most people, it's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> Why and, is there a duck sitting there in a suit? What's going yeah. on? I don't understand. And and yes, that was that was a George Lucas production. It was uh-huh. it was something that they did. Now the other part of that, yeah, it was ambitious. It was saying, but they leaned into it. It wasn't done for yeah. camp. It wasn't it wasn't Batman sixty six type of of approach right? to it. They. This is legitimately, this is Howard the Duck. He's from another dimension. He's fallen through a hole into our earth. And, and they went with it. And they and they played it completely straight. If they had done the camp, I think it would have failed even more miserably than it I did. Don't, I, 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 probably box office-wise. But you yeah. know what? I think it might have ended up becoming a cult classic if they leaned into the camp. It is a cult classic. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. It is. There are a lot of people it's a movie. it's it's, it's like, a movie that was made. It's like the Star Wars holiday special, right? It's it's a guilty pleasure. It's one of those things that you don't acknowledge it's, that you like it, but it's out there and it's a thing. It's a it's train part, wreck you can't tear your eyes away from. It. If it shows up on the, if it shows up on cable, you might sit there and watch it and go, How did this get made? It's part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was it was Lucas. I mean, it was the fact that it was you know they were, it was writing only George Lucas could have gotten away with making Howard the Duck, and yes. that's good and for real, right? Yeah. Now, can you imagine in another timeline if if Howard the Duck had succeeded? Because Marvel was giving Marvel Marvel movies were failing at the time. We didn't get a successful oh, Marvel yeah. movies until Blade. In sure, the 80s, right. you had the DC films. You had Batman. You had Batman Returns. You had, uh, I mean, Steel wasn't a successful 
movie, but it, it, that was that was out there too. You had, you know, Superman two and Superman three, and and so DC was pretty much on top movie wise until Blade came out, and then you had Blade and you had yeah. Spider Man. But I mean, I think what that... if what if Howard the Duck had succeeded? What if it well, was like the biggest blockbuster of the year and kicked off Marvel then? I think it would have been a mess <laughs> because they would have looked at things like, um, well, oh God, can you imagine? Well, it certainly because wouldn't you... have been a big cinematic universe because nobody was well, thinking in that in those terms at the time, except Lucas. The... The risk there was that Batman 89, which came after Howard the Duck, mm -hmm. could have easily have been a much more comedic movie yeah. because Howard the Duck. The, so here's here's you know, I'm sure you've noticed, folks. If a certain <laughs> film does well. Hollywood decides that they need to make their own version of certain film for good and for ill. And mostly for ill, because chasing the other guys, and it's your, it's the whether it's Marvel or DC or Paramount or Universal or WB or any of these folks, chasing the other guys' success sometimes works, no no doubt about it. But most of the time, it leads to dreck, just pure dreck. Yeah. I mean, DC, DC was an has has given us an example of that. Recent, you know, in in their attempts to chase the MCU with with their first set of films, and maybe they'll correct now. That they've got somebody, you know, they've actually got some sort of creative team at the top really to run this stuff. But we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so the thing was is that is that Marvel during this there was this whole period of time where Marvel was licensing its characters off to anybody who would give them money. Yeah. Well, and it is an interesting question as to why Lucas would have picked Well, the Howard the, the Duck, Duck comic, the Howard the Duck comic, if you've never, if you've never read it, which <laughs> most of you, most people, yeah. um, the thing is, is that it was actually really entertaining because it was cheerfully bonkers. And Howard is this dark, cynical uh, uh, newsflash. He's a dark, cynical character. He's very bitter about a lot of things. He just wants to get home. He hates this human world. Um, and it's funny and it's and it's silly. And it was for a time, you know, it, I'm not going to say it had blockbuster sales numbers, so I don't think it ever really did, but it had decent sales numbers for a weird comic like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, Lucas probably thought it was really funny and really enjoyed the comic. Um, it's entirely possible. That's the reason for it. I honestly don't know, but I mean, <laughs> I, I have read issues of Howard the Duck. It is, it was a fun comic. Um, it's not something I would make a movie out of mostly because I don't have the budget to make a, a good looking talking duck. Neither did they, but neither did they. I they have less money than they They did. spent a lot on it. They did. Animatronic. I mean, on one level, the animatronic duck, that, you know, the fact that the duck looked as good as it did is kind of impressive. That's not saying it looked good. Yeah. But it's kind of impressive what they accomplished. I mean, there's that. 
it's, it's but yeah, interesting. So, so, so there was the 80s was a big period, a big explosion for different kinds of horror. Yeah. Um, because up until that point, um, most of your horror horror was more cerebral cerebral than visceral, right? Um, and and you can debate whether or not you know if you, if you don't like gory horror, no. uh, that's perfectly fine. There's a whole lot of horror films out there that are not gory. George C. Scott's The Changeling, which is an excellent movie, and it's one of the well, I think the two horror films George C. Scott was in. Um, he was also in uh, Exorcist Three, which I highly recommend as well. Um, but The Changeling is a great movie. And Chris, Christopher um, talked about that on one of the one of the episodes of Vault of the Killer Reeves. Is talking about it, right? Of I mean, stuff. and George C. Scott is is you tend to think of him as these big bombastic characters because he certainly you know he played Patton, Patton and you know he's he's got that you know uh, just that that power in his performances. But he, his his performance in, in the Changeling, which I think was nineteen eighty, um, it it was. I mean, there it's painful. He's, he's his character is experiencing so much pain and loss as he explores this story, this supernatural story. It's a really solid, emotionally with emotionally strong throughline, um, creepy movie, and and it's you know, but but we also started to see you know the Evil Dead came out in the 1980s, the first one. You got Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, book both were out in that decade. You had uh, the first Hellraiser was out in the 1980s the first nightmare on elm street here's where filmmakers were in horror were really starting to get into um because because they were allowing themselves to go into the r rating so they had the freedom to show you know more gore or violence um and some of these films were edited extremely well so that you you know in in this era of super quick cuts and how many jump scares could we squeeze into a horror movie for the PG-13 crowd? Yeah. Um, Which is also a was, product of the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, so there was this, there was this sort of explosion of, of younger filmmakers coming into the horror space. And this is also a time when John Carpenter was one of those younger filmmakers. Um, but The Thing came out in, what, 82? Mm. Um, and it bombed, in, it bombed in the theaters. People, hate, critics hated it it came out the same year as um yeah well certainly there yes you saw you saw a lot of horror uh horror and comedy come together but again we've talked about this before too horror and comedy have the same beats yeah and so they are often good uh, uh things to mix together but you know you, you look at something like the thing which you know it came out the same year as et and audiences loved this sweet story about a little boy and, and and an alien becoming friends and then you they can so many reviews of the time <laughs> were sitting there like we just had et the et made us feel warm and happy this film made me want to vomit and they were and because the effects were so extreme yeah. and we love those effects as, as horror fans those effects are genius i mean they're works of art in terms of filmmaking you know the 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 process and they look, um, and, and they still hold up. They are practical effects that, yeah, you can, they, you know, some of them are are, are clearly, you know, puppet work or, or something that's a little too stiff to be, yeah. you know, what it wants to be. But they're beautiful in, in, in terms of in terms of the production, they're beautiful. 
Oh, well, I mean, that's well, just it. Kind so of ahead of its whole... time a little bit. Oh, it was so ahead of its time. Again, people were not ready for, again, I said, like, Carpenter Carpenter puts a lot of social commentary into his work. He also puts a lot of cynicism. Um, there is a cynicism and pessimism that runs through the thing that, I mean, it's for audiences of the time, it's a dark movie. I mean, yes, it's very violent. Yes, it's very gory. And the creature effects are disturbing. Um, all things that I love. But it's also, I mean, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have the best view of humanity. Um, or, it would you know, fit right in the modern era. Huh? I said it would fit right in in the modern era. Well, honestly, the thing is, is if, if that it hadn't been made in the 80s, it's a film that could have been made in the 90s, the 2000s, yeah. the 2020s, and still have, I mean, it's, it's the script and, and you know, the effects work, um, you know, again, they still hold up. And the performances, and there's, but it's, it's such a solid, disturbing film, but it's a mood whiplash from the other alien that audience is going to see and again we've talked about this before this is the era where films were not in a theater for a month and then gone they were in the theaters if they were in the theater for a month it's because they were bombing right if they were if they were making money they were in the theaters for three months six months nine months you would see these films that were constantly still in the theater so yeah. you know but yeah it's it's both films. Both films have held up. They look at things in very different ways, but you know they're they both have things we love. If you're if you're fans of science fiction, if you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of both, but they're very very different kinds of movie. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> By the way, in the chat, you see it's a trap productions. There, Alexander is going to be uh, our guest. Uh, on the panel during the Ranker Pit, not tomorrow night, but next Tuesday. Tomorrow night, we're not doing a Ranker Pit because of the election, but next Tuesday, the 15th, mm -hmm. uh, Alexander will be joining us for that Star Wars discussion. Uh, sure, critters are there as well. Okay, so, so here's the thing about why the film failed at the box office. Because sometimes audiences and critics don't get it. <laughs> just happens i mean it just it just happens and and that's not to say i mean the, the critics were giving their opinion at the time based on their experiences audiences were doing the same things yeah the thing is that they're just some movies that they find their legs in home video or on cable um or or through the internet and then they become you know people start to recognize what they have and that's just a thing that happens one of my favorite science fiction films of the 90s yes the 90s um is or yeah dark city mm, yeah uh, alex Preuss's dark city um it's a great film came out the same year as the matrix they both deal with the react with reality not being what you think it is they both deal with people with a with a with a character who can shape reality around him um it was shot before the matrix the matrix used the sets from dark city in its own production it's a better movie as far as i'm concerned i think dark city dark city the matrix the 13th floor also came out that same I remember that. video of time yep. 13th floor not 
bad, but certainly I mean, it's a step down. But there were three movies of, of playing with this whole same theme in like a year of each other. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's uh it's one of those things. Dark Cities is if you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. It's got uh, Riff Raff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of the bad guys, and he's so good as a bad guy, a real bad guy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Love love that movie. MS mentions HBO. Hey, Beastmaster's on. Beastmaster 1982. Mark Singer. Mark Singer, who would go on to do uh, V. Um, v. And also, um, if you could see what I hear, which is a, a uh, adaptation oh, of a of right. a um, the autobiography of, of a of a blind golfer. And it's a it's a great book. It's a so so movie, but Mark Singer is fun. And it. Sherry Sherry Belafonte is in that. Yeah. And she's great in that film. But anyway. It, it you know, the eighties the eighties is uh is a little is a little treasure chest because there's so many good things. There are mediocre things. Oh sure. There are really good things, and then there are the things that we remember fondly, whether they were good or not. You know, right? Like crawl. See, crawl is such an example of an ambitious <laughs> idea that was—it's a kitchen soup or it's a kitchen sink movie. Yeah. Everything's in that film. It's science fiction. It's fantasy. It's aliens. It's monsters. It's cyclopses. It's frisbee weapons. It's—I mean, it's—it's it's, yeah. It's—it's it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Ex okay, Excalibur. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, how many how many different times have we added the King Arthur story? But nothing has looked like Excalibur. It is visually, it is one of a kind. And it has its own set of flaws. It is way too long. Is that John Sayles did that one? It was John Borman. John Borman. Yeah, John Borman. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Excalibur is kind of one of those films where I can't decide if it's a guilty pleasure or just a pleasure because they're... There are parts of that film that are just like, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's it looks it's it's a gorgeous movie and it's got some great stuff in it. Another, so another movie that's similar to that because you talk about long, you talk about the you know legends and mythology and and origin stories and whatnot. You've got Clash of the Titans, which right? Harry Hamilton, not, not the not the modern versions, which you know, I mean, for all the, for all the hate that the modern versions have got, the first one is a decent it not great decent fantasy movie mm -hmm. if it if the first clash of the titans had not existed the first of the mo more modern clash of the titans isn't terrible the second one is garbage but um so i mean i don't know anyway but yeah yeah that i mean there's so much great stop motion animation in that there's so well, much it's just, ray harryhausen um it's and there's so a lot of the fantasy films we got during that time period, even when some of the darker ones like Conan, there's a kind of this sense of of fun lurking underneath them. Oh yeah, you know there, and and I think that that's and and there's pros and cons to that, right? I mean, sometimes this stuff just doesn't feel like it's being taken seriously, but um, yeah, I mean, there's there there's some nice kind of fuzzy feelings that I get about some of these films, even when they aren't particularly great. You know, again, because when I watched them, I mean, we were going to the movie, going to the movies then in the 80s was <clears throat> um, 
an experience that you know we don't necessarily get much of these days <clears throat> the lost boys came out in the 80s you know vampire flick mm-hmm. um gremlins uh, Gremlins, but my theater company at in 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 Wichita Heights High School. um, This first of all, if you've never seen Lost Boys or heard the soundtrack, the soundtrack (laughs) was a work of art. Um, And we're talking about the original, Hmm? the original Lost Boys. Yeah, the original, the original Lost Boys soundtrack is so good. We went to see that film uh, probably a dozen times. And it was almost like, you know, we were also, you know, Friday nights we were going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. But, you know, we saw Lost Boys was one of those films you went back to again and again and again. Um, it just had that kind of reaction from audiences, especially teenagers. Yeah. So uh, Dick Tracy. Death by, death by Stereo. Yeah. Death no, by Stereo. Dick Tracy was 1990, as was Spaced Invaders. So right. they're, they're not quite in the 80s. They've got that vibe. God, because I mean, the thing about Dick Tracy is that it's, Dick Tracy was such an ambitious, and then brothers were, it's, it is the 90s, but it, it was so ambitious, and yet it's so flat. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, it's, it's, it needed more silliness in it. I mean, it looked great. It looked, I mean, just in terms of the costume design and the production design. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a great looking movie, but it's just such a flat story. And so it, I was really surprised at how well Madonna did in that one. It's her. All right. I, look, Madonna, <laughs> Madonna is a superstar. Again, the eighties, she was, she dominated, yeah. you know, the, the airwaves. I mean, there's, she certainly had a, a very, a fantastic career. However you feel about her music. But I think it's probably the best she's ever been on screen as an actor. I agree. And, and I think that, and, and you know what the thing is, is that she is far from the only musician who has been in a movie and who should not have been. But she was good in Dick Tracy. Yeah. I liked her in Dick Tracy. I think, I think Dick Tracy would have been better if Warren Beatty was not playing Dick Tracy. I think it would have been better if Warren Beatty remembered he can be funny. I, it, it just when 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 it came out, I, I remember thinking it was a it was an odd casting choice. And I know it's his movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but, I didn't mind him for the look, but he's just so. He, I mean, it's a comic strip, you guys. Yeah. Remember that sometimes sometimes we. Remember what the original medium was and make that movie accordingly. <laughs> right. Sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes sometimes you want to break out of that original medium and do something different, but yeah. still. Um, Flash Gordon. Oh yes. I mean, when else could Flash Gordon have been made? That particular Flash Gordon? Never. It's the only time, the 80s are the only time period that movie could have been made because it's the only time you could have had those actors. I mean, you get the star of Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. One of, I mean, just, I mean, you have to remember that that he was a gigantic Broadway star. I mean, huge. Yeah. You get him, you get, you know, a, a, a famous football player and queen 
the music of Queen. <laughs> only the 80s. And only in the 80s because this have happened. And Max von Sydow. And Max von Sydow. I mean, how can you? Yeah, it only in the 80s. And There's no Brian way you can do it any other time. Gordon's alive. <laughs> oh, so much. Oh, so much great stuff. And, you know, uh, uh, Dalton in that film, pre-James mm-hmm. Bond, Timothy yep. Dalton. Yep. Um, just, you know, I mean, he oh, so, so much perfect casting in that movie. Um, and such a wonderfully silly uh, and cheerfully silly uh, movie. It's kind of, it's like Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's the again, we come back to that that mixture of horror and comedy, um, less horror, uh, certainly, but more comedy. But it's a fantasy movie, you know, um, it, you know, it, 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 it's carp. It's it, people didn't expect that from John Carpenter and John Carpenter's like, I think it's funny. And we're like, yes, it is. <laughs> the, co- the commentary track is gold. I've said this before. If you, oh if you're okay. watching that movie, so, watch it with the commentary yeah. track on because it is hilarious because it's Carpenter and, See, and Kurt Russell. And they don't talk at all about the movie ever in, in the entire, the entire two hours they're drinking and they're, and then they're talking oh, hockey it is so funny the, to listen to. The commentary track with both of them on the thing, they do talk about the movie a lot, but it's also gold. I mean, this yeah. is, look, there are some commentary tracks that are like, okay, this is fine. Some of them are just glorious. Bruce Campbell's commentary, Sam Raimi's commentary for the Evil Dead films, yeah, also gold. So those are ones to check out if you haven't, folks. Highly recommend those. Um, I was I was going to look up one, and I can't remember what it was that I was going to look up. Um, but we have to we have to uh, make sure that we don't that we don't get out of here before mentioning the perfect movie from 1987, The Princess Bride. Another film that I think is amazing that it got made because it's a it is an adaptation of a book written I, the movie is written by the guy who wrote the book who happens to be the amazing screenwriter w- william golding william goldman yeah. yeah he's so good butch and cassidy and the so, sundance kid yeah i mean he's an amazing screenwriter and he wrote this this novel which if you've never read it he translated um, he translated the novel yeah, the original yeah. Morgan Star. We have to get the of course, right. <laughs> of course. Um, the the novel is very funny, but it's a different kind of humor. Mm-hmm. It's much more. Um, it's, it's a more subtle form of of comedy, but it's very funny in its own way. But the film is so. perfect in so many ways and it's another it's another example of lightning in a bottle where you could not you know because he he's been saying you know he always wanted to do a sequel to the novel which would be made for a sequel to the film but he could never find a way into it it's like once you do once you tell that story that way it's like the sequel leave it alone the sequel is buttercup's baby right i mean it's it's in the book be like yeah, it's not going to be the, you know, you're yeah. not going to make it into a movie. Um, but the thing is, is that that's okay. This is an example of, okay, stop. You're done. Yeah, You got it. You got it right. And, don't, it and don't remake it. 
Yeah, please don't. I mean, I, I mean, look, you can tell that kind of story, but the thing is, is that that's an example of the reason that film worked the way it did was the script, it was the direction, and most of all, it was those actors at that point in their lives. Yeah, you cannot reproduce that. You can you can make something that might be it's not going to be better but it might be different and successful but you can't recapture that particular feeling it'll be a new feeling and it might be a great feeling but how often is that the case i don't know that a remake would be as successful honestly because you have so many people out here who are dead set against it i don't think it would be because the that princess bride exists and it would no matter no matter how good the remake would be no matter how talented the actors the 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 new writer on it to making whatever new adaptation the direction it could be a gorgeous movie with amazing performances and it would still be held up against the princess bride and until your and my generation dies and our kids die <laughs> well that's there's there's a, there's two at least two generations that's Three, that's that's when really you do. At this point, who grew up you, with that movie? Yeah, that's when you do a shot by shot remake like they do with Psycho. And how well did that work out? Well, yeah. okay, technically, technically, it's very impressive. Artistically, sure. yeah, it's, it's, it's static. Yeah, yeah, it's no no risk at all. Yeah, I like, mean, why, you why look. I mean, again, again we come back to some of this stuff. Of, We've had all these revival for for horror franchises. You've got Halloween. You've got you now. You've got uh, Hellraiser. Um, you've got you know that we're, we're potentially getting a new Friday the Thirteenth. Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. The first film is a straight up horror movie. Mm-hmm. The second film is a, another horror film, but it's also a huge uh, uh, film for gay representation. And, and there's been the, there's a really cool documentary about that if that sort of stuff interests you. Um, the third film was this really cemented Freddy Krueger as this funny villain mm-hmm. with these great, and, and for a lot of people, Dream Warriors is their favorite nightmare film because it's so much fun. Yeah. And then, like so many other horror franchises, starts to go off the rails. They made one too many. They made <laughs> several too many. <laughs> now, what, now, uh, Wes Craven would come back to it and do a uh, new night, his yeah. new nightmare, which is one of my favorite ver- films in the franchise. But then when they tried to revive it in the two thousands with Jackie Earl Haley playing the part, I think that was actually inspired casting, but it's again, it's, it lacked something. And most of what it lacked was humor. It's yeah. a very, and, and again, I don't necessarily have an issue with someone going, Okay, the, that film was funny. Let's do a very serious version. I don't have an issue with the concept, but it didn't work. Yeah, and now, now that's let me one ask of those, you. That's one of those franchises let that. Let me ask you: Would would Jackie Earl Haley have been cast in that if he had not done Watchmen? Probably because not, Watchmen because that was for, for a lot of people. Watchmen was his big exposure to everybody. Yeah, and I think that that, that was a real breakthrough film for him in fact that was a breakthrough film for for several actors um and so however you feel about Zack snyder um watchman is a 
pretty good adaptation of the source material and it also gave a lot of a lot of actors who you are very used to seeing on your screens now mm -hmm. uh, a, a really good opportunity to, to to shine and so i mean you know if nothing else you can thank him for that yeah uh ms mentions highlander we also had people asking about blade runner and the never-ending story uh, yeah. Which were also in there, Blade Runner in '82, I think, or no? Well, and yeah. also remember that that's another film that, quite frankly, Blade Runner in the theaters didn't do as well as people think it did. Yeah, um, it was another film that became successful after the fact. Neverending Story. Neverending Story is a is 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 one of those movies. The first one. The first one, yes. Okay, it's an example of, of, of sequels becoming unnecessary immediately. Um, it only adapts part of the novel, and it leaves out the ending, and that's good. Because you don't want the ending of the novel. You, you <laughs> might think you do, but you don't. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, yeah Highlander. Okay, so the first Highlander... And yes, there were sequels. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the first Highlander is Russell McCahey as a director. He was a music video director up until that point. I think that was his yeah. first feature. I think it was, yeah. Um, and on one level, and I love Highlander. I own it. <laughs> I own it on VHS. I own it on DVD. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Narratively, it, it's it's got some issues. But... I don't know why my phone made a noise. I started the volume off. Anyway, um, but uh, I love that film. I absolutely do. Christopher Lambert is not as it's got the worst Scottish accent in the history of <laughs> Scottish accents. Um, Sean Connery doesn't remotely sound Egyptian, um, but there is or still Spanish. it is it is so, so Clancy Brown is so great in oh, that yeah. Clancy Brown is having the most fun that any actor can have he says i'm the villain i'm going to go yeah all the places and, and i would say that made clancy brown a star and i would say that everything that clancy brown did after that starship troopers lex luthor green mile all of it came from highlander oh no question whether it, whether it was career. trying to capture that gruff energy or play against it yeah because now you you got clancy brown when clancy brown is playing sensitive characters it's a contrast to the and, and it's a it's one of those things where it's like oh he can do he can do quiet and emotional stuff um he's a very talented actor yeah, but is. the thing is is that for so many people their first exposure his breakthrough role is you know i have something to say yeah. <laughs> better to burn out than to fade away I mean, it's holy just, you know, ground Islander uh, it's over, like a growl and it's yeah. so and it's that, that, that power of that voice and it, he built an entire career off the power of that voice and it's he, it's a well deserved career he's an amazing performer yeah. over on Odyssey we've got uh, the ghost of dude bro jumping in the chat asking if everybody's ready for the lunar eclipse tonight we're going to get blood moon tonight right before the red Ooh. wave tomorrow cool <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, I. I don't know how many it's where it's going to be visible. It says visible across North America. I I have not looked into the to the lunar eclipse. Maybe maybe we need to pop outside and take a look tonight when we get done. Yeah. So um, other films that that really just I mean 
you know, Alien uh, mm-hmm. was was in well, the, the a- Alien was seventy nine. Aliens, right. Aliens, Aliens was 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 definitely an eighties film. Yeah. The Shining came out in nineteen eighty one. For for many people, Stephen King doesn't like it, but for many people, it's one of the greatest Stephen King adaptations. And of course, it's a classic horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, the Terminator, I mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead two. Yeah. The 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 the, re, the well the essentially the remake um uh, of the first film but, but funny again horror and comedy and that really is that's the film that puts Sam Raimi on the map. And his I mean, Oldsmobile. Hmm? And his Oldsmobile. Oh yes, that too. <laughs> um but I mean that that film really is the one that that kickstarted you know his you know his in, I mean he, he got recognition for the first Evil Dead. But Evil Dead Two, which again is going back and remaking, remaking his own movie, um, that's the film that broke out and and really you know made audiences notice him. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, which is your mileage may vary, but it was a for for a sequel to a horror film was pretty well received at the time and pop, profitable. Yeah. So I mean, can't complain about that. Um, Near Dark, okay. Folks, I'm telling you, if you have not seen Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow directed one of the best vampire films of all time. And I am constantly stunned how many people have not seen Near Dark. Lance Hendrickson, Bill Paxton. It is vampire. It is it is roving vampires in, in the, the Southwest. It is. So you've got you've got the sexy vampires of uh the lost boys right you got the very not sexy vampires i mean they're they're grimy vampires they're they're they're, i think you people would argue that they were sexy too but it is such a great watch those two films back to back you will get two very different versions of the vampire story and they're both so good but near dark is one of those films that again people just I'm, i'm it's one of, how, how have you not seen near and dark if you're a horror fan <laughs> but Catherine bigel i mean she she this this is one of those films where again she went on to do a lot of other stuff too but this is one of the films that really put her on the map as a director people really began to notice uh, her skill as a director there um can't talk about 80s films without talking about the fly right which is Jeff a Goldblum. remake hmm? it's a remake it is a remake, but the thing is, is that it's it, it it's an example of taking the same kind of story, and because you couldn't, when the first one was made, you could not do body horror. That was yeah. not a thing that could happen. Here, the nightmare fuel really becomes, you know, the the, the disintegration of, of of you know Brumble, Brumblefly. Um, is something you couldn't have done when the original was made, and so you know it's it's taking and taking that story and looking at it from a different angle, and really leaning into a different kind of horror. Right. The first one isn't isn't is suspenseful, but it's not necessarily scary. It's kind of like um, the original version of the thing. Oh sure, it's, I mean it's a it's great. The original version of the thing like is that. a fun science fiction monster movie. Yeah, it's not a it's not. Scary scary for modern audiences no the way that carpenter was able to pull off all, all both of them adapted from a from a short story and um quite frankly the carpenter film is closer to the original 
story than the, than the original the original version of the thing was so poltergeist came out yeah in the 80s and i well, mean and we haven't even talked about tv i mean you've got night rider you've got um there were some stuff in the '90s that we're not gonna that that we're not gonna get to. I mean, Mantis, but uh, uh, what Sequest was in the '90s, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> would you Would you consider the A Team fantasy action because nobody dies? Oh yeah, it's it's, it's fantasy action. Yeah, I mean, comic you book. Know. Type. Well, you could you couldn't kill people on television unless it was a unless it was a, well, no, a, a special that a special was a, series. That was a stipulation that George Papard had. Well, but it as, also as showed part up in a lot of, of things that we saw were very few very in the now if you if you were doing things like say V, right? Here's mm, this yeah. here's this mini series. And I'm not talking about this the sequel mini series which goes off the rails in the last half hour <laughs> um, in a big way. Yeah. Glowing alien space babies. What's going on here? Um, okay. She wasn't a baby, but so she was a kid. Yeah. Um, the first one though is, and again, that was very much political commentary. That was very much social commentary. They were, you know, they were, it's, it's, it was a science fiction. It couldn't happen here, which is also, well, science fiction in its own way. Um, but I mean, it was, you know, the, for for you know the network had like a you know a mini series they were running, kill all the people you wanted north and south, um, you know, <laughs> um, but I mean yeah, so it, you know, violence on television was was much more muted, yeah. and there's pros and cons so, to that. I mean, fun, people people have been arguing about that for a while, but fun story. Uh, I I was on Facebook the other day. I want to say it was Friday or Saturday, Friday, I think. And there was a post that ran across <clears throat> acknowledging the anniversary of The Incredible Hulk. Mm. And it was from Kenneth Johnson, who created the show, developed the show, sure. and also mm -hmm. did, did V as well as other things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd go down the rabbit hole a little bit just to see some of the, some of the stuff that he's got. Got to his website. And it turns out Kenneth Johnson also has an AOL email address still. <laughs> it is <laughs> right there on his website. So I have I am of a mind to invite Kenneth Johnson to uh, to the bunker for a conversation oh, at some point. I think be it would fun. be kind of yeah, fun. So. Yeah, yeah. And then we okay. can talk about just so, how much V the final battle went off the rails because he was done he was done with it at that point. Oh yeah. yeah I mean I think that he would was be off. Now, there was a really neat series of novels. If you're not, if you if you can still find them, I got a few the V novels were actually a lot of fun. Yeah, because uh, they took a, they took you outside of, of that core story and went to other places. Okay, so Scanners, Michael Ironside again, another film that cemented Michael Ironside, uh, who was also in V, really is as yes he was yeah um fantastic film and um we're getting a scanners tv series which i'm have mixed feelings about there's some potential there i don't know i'm not against it per se but we'll see uh the howling okay so the very first howling is another thing that turned into a franchise the very first howling is a decent werewolf movie and there are not that many decent werewolf movies and so the howling um is one that I quite enjoy. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 
The Hunger came out in the 80s. David mm. Bowie uh, and uh, uh, Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon. Starman. Uh, star stylish mm -hmm. and sexy. Starman also stylish and sexy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's this, there was a kind of a... Um, so on the for good and for ill mtv was around at that point too so a lot of music video directors got over into the genre space mm -hmm. and um uh, some of that really really worked and some of it not so much but i mean some of it look the 80s also had a, a fair amount of style over substance sure which has its own pleasures in genre sometimes sometimes a really stylish movie heavy metal yeah, you know, came out this time period. So I mean, there's there was just so many great stuff, and heavy metal was really, you know, very racist for its time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, know, adult I'd say, animation, no, really, adult animation. Yeah, it really is. Well, and and you know, you talk about you know MTV and and the style and all of that. We have to mention the music video for Thriller. It's a oh, it's a zombie movie. It's you know. And it's a it's a fully produced yeah werewolf zombie movie. Was it was it Joe was Joe Don, did Joe Dante directed that one? I I want to say it was Joe did. Dante. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I mean it's just I mean oh uh, some, yeah. yeah and and you know you've got Vincent dude. Vincent, Vincent Price just makes that. I mean no no doubting the 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 talent of Michael Jackson in that, but I mean. You know that whole John Landis. Thing. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just you know, and of course, you know, um, the 1980s, a little little film called Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. You know, um, again, a film that you know, and and what what they have, you know, I think what we we've talked about this before is that making that first film again, it could only have happened then. Yeah. Right. There's American World in London um, is one of yeah. That's okay. So. Of, of that time period, right? You had the Amer American Werewolf in London. You had The Howling. You had uh, Wolfen uh, with Gregory Hines. Cat People. Um, hmm? Cat People. Cat, well, yeah, okay. So the cat, the remake of Cat People um, is an interesting is an interesting remake. I, that, that, again, um, it was the casting on that that really made it really powerful um because you have malcolm mcdowell and you have uh um nastasia kinski thank you thank yeah. you her name was just went out of my brain first i i was about to say her name first and then i would i said his name first and her name disappeared because i'm old <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's yeah it's the, and the thing was is that for some of this stuff remember that a lot of these a lot of these genre films were considered to kind of considered to be B movies by the studios, mm -hmm. right? Some of them, some of them got a lot of money put into them, um, but they were, you know, this is not the stuff that was going to win awards. This is stuff that wasn't going to go. You know, nobody was going to nominate these so come Oscar season or Golden Globes or any of that stuff. And we still see some of that, but we're seeing, you know, more and more genre things getting awards for things. But you look at something like um, Labyrinth. Or with, with with Bowie again, or you look at um, oh no, let's see, it's gone out of my head again. Tim Curry, Tom Cruise, Legend, Legend. Uh, I mean, Legend is Legend is gorgeous. 
it's not a great movie, but it looks so good. And Tim Curry is just, I mean, the one of the best devils we've ever had. Um, and Tom Cruise is not, I mean, I think he's miscast in that, but he does fine. Yeah, I think um, he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the film on a, on a purely on a visual production design on that movie is incredible. It's a gorgeous film, and the soundtrack, Tangerine Dream, some great some great soundtracks for a lot of these movies in the eighties. Again, MTV MTV was in this. This was the period where MTV was at its height. This is the period where where artists were really uh, becoming visual storytellers in ways they hadn't become because of the music video industry. And this actually led to a lot of artists experimenting with genre stuff in their music videos. You've got horror, you've got mm -hmm. science fiction, you've got fantasy. And Hollywood capitalized on this by bringing some of these artists into the soundtracks in ways that they hadn't before more pop stuff was coming out of these soundtracks so you ended up with these amazing soundtracks like yes purple rain uh which is in a way it's it, it, it's a it's it is fantasy um yeah uh legend yeah legend the, yeah the jerry goldsmith score no. um yeah there, there were these incredible soundtracks that came out of this it was a wonderful mix and unfortunately with the death of MTV, even though these videos are available on YouTube or, or, or the artists' websites or different platforms, that amazing period of time where MTV was just like, it was MTV's golden age, um, which really ended, I think, in the early 90s um, when MTV decided they wanted to make a whole, I mean, yeah, um, mm -hmm. where it was going to be, you know, oh, reality TV. Yeah. Um, they leaned into that, and I think that was the downhill slope suddenly began um but that late period of the 80s i mean ugh, that was that was a fantastic period for really great music in genre films um you know the pop stars really leaned into that stuff it was great there it's uh, amazing stuff there there is um there is another 80s film that we've not mentioned yet that well there's there's two one of them is on the edge maybe of genre and that's cloak and dagger with henry thomas and dabney coleman which sure is is a spy thriller fantasy i guess you mm. could say okay I, I i would i would i'll go with that sure and then there's the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension and i'm still waiting for the sequel so I just, uh, and we'll talk about this in our upcoming episode of, of Foreign Bodies, but Leslie and I just finished watching the Cabinet of Curiosities, Guillermo del Toro's um, uh, anthology series that he just ran. And uh, watching Peter Weller stars in one of the episodes. Mm -hmm. And while he has clearly gotten older, he is still the amazing Peter Weller. And he is just so good in that episode. And I just look at him and go, you know what? Give me Buckaroo Banzai and the crew as old men, and I would still be there. Yeah. Because these, uh, yeah, that's well, every, everybody's, another, another film with a great soundtrack. Everybody's still around. I mean, for the most part. I think, I think we've had a couple of guys who have passed away, but I think that you could, I think you could do it, especially mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, we've had these films. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want the expendables version of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> but 
the fact is that the Expendables, whether you like them or not, yeah, they've been well, successful movies, and they've revitalized. They revitalized some of these older action stars' careers at the end uh, or at the tail end when some of them people have not necessarily uh, been uh, considering them. Well, given roles. how long it's been since the first movie, <clears throat> you could bring in ringers, I guess. You could bring in somebody like a Dolph Lundgren or a Jean-Claude Van Damme or oh, sure. Jackie yeah. Chan mm-hmm. or somebody. As, as, one of, as some of the characters who have the passed blue, away. The yeah. Blue Blaze regulars have all come in now from worldwide and the operations expanded and whatnot. Oh, Especially sure, if sure. you're going to well, go against, you know, the Han. You're more likely to get, if this were to ever happen, because the rights issue is such a cl- yeah. cluster. Um, you're more likely to get Buckaroo Banzai the Next Generation and okay sometimes it works yeah sometimes not so much star trek the next generation 1987 so it it's there it's possible i'm just um you know or yeah. or you just recast and i'm thinking yeah. i don't i don't know that you could you can't you can't do it that's that's another one of those lightning in a bottle the, the 1980s Maybe maybe a little bit into the 90s, but the 80s as a whole, that decade, is lightning in a bottle. You're not going to get the 80s. Again. Well, now, I'm not I'm not even I'm, I'm not because there are so many parallels now between current year politics and what was going on in 1979 Maybe we will get another decade like the '80s coming. coming uh, well, I, maybe, but I, 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 you're right. I think that the the we're not going to get that kind of thing. There was look. Um, this is not to say we don't get experimental movies now. We certainly do. We get mm-hmm. a lot of we there are a lot of filmmakers who are taking real chances with some of the stories they're telling. But there is a lot of just look. The westerns are done. The crime thrillers are done. They were still, you know, you were still getting crime. You were still getting crime thrillers and and just thrillers in general. The eighties and nineties were big for thrillers. Yeah, but the there was this gap, and and you know what? When the superhero when the superhero movie thing falls down, and it will fall down, folks, because yeah. we we've been talking. We've mentioned this before that it's amazing that it's actually run this long, considering how entertainment is consumed and and how we look at these periods i mean though look westerns dominated the industry for what three decades yeah something like that well i mean and dc still has yet to really get their act together for this current run i mean well and the thing is that that's probably going to extend the superhero thing even longer than it would if they you know you got james gunn in there now Mm. potentially that turns into an extension of of something that i mean because there's stuff goes in cycles right i saw a story over the weekend you talk about 80s here's here's a here's a marvel movie that you could set in the 80s because it would be 80s style, especially given who wants to make it. There is a rumor out there that Cameron Crowe, he of Almost Famous and and Jerry Maguire, Show Me Mm -hmm. the Money, wants to make a Dazzler movie. 
for Marvel. Considering, considering that Dazzler was Marvel trying to cash in on Disco after Disco was dead. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there was supposed to be a movie. Even. Yeah. That would be... Uh, but like, see, and, but and, can... and honestly, I somewhere in this apartment in one of my boxes, I have part of that initial Dazzler run. Mm-hmm. I bought that comic. Well, and Cameron Crowe started his career doing m- music video type of movies, music documentaries, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, be, Alice in Chains. I mean, it could, could work. actually be a lot of fun. I think I, 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 the, the character has evolved in the court over the course of the decades. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's an interesting character. Um, and, and so I think that you definitely could do something like that. You could. That would be really interesting. I'm 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 kind of intrigued by it. I, I'm not sure how you'd fit her into the current MCU very much. But um I you know what I, what you do is is a you do it as a you do it as oh I wouldn't do it as a feature. I do it as one of these Marvel special presentations. Yeah. Okay. And it would be a where are they now? <clears throat> that could work. Do and oh, so there. yeah, like VH one. Right. Except that, <laughs> oh, except that basically yes. it's like you know as a, whatever happened to, to Allison Blair, Allison Blair, um, you know, she yeah. was the star of the, of the stage and then she disappeared. And it's like, where have I been? I'm a mutant superhero. I've been over here fighting, you know, <laughs> alien invasions and, and, you know, Dr. Doom and all yeah. these things. It's like, that would I'm, be fun. I'm still here. I just don't make, you know, I'm just not on the stage anymore. That would be fun. Yeah. But then you could get someone like Lila Cheney, um, who's uh, uh, also a musician, in the Marvel uh, comics, and she's oh, there's all kinds of fun things you could do with this. This could be cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm very intrigued by this now, folks. Okay, yes. do do this thing, get it right. Who, who would you cast though? But who would you cast as Dazzler? Sydney Sweeney. Oh goodness. Um, I, I I almost hate to say this because I like her quite like her as as Harley Quinn, but Margot Robbie. Mm. she's got the physicality for it she's she's i mean because it's a um if you got if if you're old enough to remember the dazzler comics this is a woman who ran around in, in bell bottoms and roller skates yeah um and i think that margot robbie could definitely pull it off but she's i mean she's just the first name that pops into my head i'd, I'd want to think about that more because okay she's an obvious she's a potentially obvious choice but mm-hmm. she might not be the best choice right um i'd have to think about that but that yeah. could be that could be fun i mean anna taylor joy know, could be one Oh, she could work. Um, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to throw out a name here. And I think it could work. I think it would be risky, but I think it could work. You this you could actually make that a Taylor Swift movie. Yeah, you probably could. Well, what was it? Didn't I, I think it might work? Wait, didn't... Wasn't there a rumor at one point that she wanted to be that she wanted to play Dazzler like about three years ago? I think, wasn't it possibly, possibly, but I, yeah, honestly, I think it could work because okay, she's if you if you've ever seen her music videos, she's definitely leaned into some of the genre elements and yeah. and she is a charismatic performer i mean whether you like her music or not i mean she clearly is successful at what she does yeah there's been Um, fan casting um there's a bunch oh no oh that's what it was 
uh, because when X-Men Apocalypse came out, mm. there was word that she had a cameo as Dazzler in that movie. And I don't think it actually oh. happened. I, no, I, I don't I don't think she did. I, I, I have blurry I memories of that off, film. Yeah. It's not good. Um, but. No, I, I don't. I don't believe she was in that. Um, but no, I, I honestly, she might be a very good casting choice for that. Because hey, guess what? She can actually sing. Yeah. <laughs> we should come back to the subject. There are a lot of other films because I mean the '80s were really, you know, we're talking about a target-rich environment. Um, yeah, definitely so. There were, and some of these are some. We've talked about some of the big yeah. ones and some of the ones that are are better known. But there's a lot of under the radar less i mean we we haven't even got into the guilty pleasure 80s movies and we've <laughs> talked about guilty pleasures before on this show but there's a lot of 80s movies that fall into the guilty pleasure category yeah some of them literally are so bad they're good and some of them are films that i mean the 80s was cannibal holocaust came out in the 80s the um faces of the faces of the dead faces of series uh, of were out in in the 80s and i mean these are not great movies but they were had a huge impact uh, uh and okay so they're in topic part yeah, two there we'll we go do, we, we'll we've had a request time. we'll just have to do it so yeah. maybe not we'll necessarily next it. week but we will circle back to this and 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 do something so right all right. So with that being said, uh, Tim mentioned foreign bodies. We are going to have a special foreign bodies presentation on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. Uh, talking about the Cabinet of Curiosities from Guillermo del Toro. And if uh, you're a fan of uh, the Twilight Zone, if you're a fan of, there's a couple of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations in there. It's the whole ser thing is overall is very. Lovecraftian uh, in in to varying degrees, and we'll talk about that some too. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is, of course, a, a very well known fan of Lovecraft's writing. And we all, I still regret the fact that we were probably never going to get a, at the Mountains of Madness from him. It just no. it, it hurts my soul a little no. bit to know that's probably never going to happen because that could have been amazing. No. I'm not saying it still won't, just because who knows? Yeah, but... I mean, it, it, it was stranger things have happened. Yeah, but I mean, and, it's, and so, so this is something that maybe, if you if you haven't checked out this series, I recommend it and hope you join us on Saturday as Leslie and I talk about it. Maybe the success of Cabinet of Curiosities leads to somebody taking a look and say, hey, weren't you working on something like this? Be, it'd be great. Yeah. And I think that quite frankly, um, you know, the, the argument against making it um, has not can, not held up. So we can talk right. about that some too. So. Uh, is, there was a, a mention of Goonies in the chat. We didn't get to Goonies. We didn't get to Gremlins. Yeah, there's so much. Uh, there's, there's so much. There's stuff so we didn't much get. Like I said, you know, it's lightning in a bottle. You get that one, that one decade, that's such a such a a, a treasure trove of of stuff. Well, um, and so much of that stuff was first films, or 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 in the first few films of some directors who you know have have become you know legends, really. Yeah. For a lot of these folks, you know, yeah. and that's and that's something else is that the '80s. The '80s was an opportunity for a lot of those directors to get a chance to to get their stuff in front of people's eyes. So yeah, we'll have to come back to this. Yeah, Robocop. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. Yep. All right. Yep. So uh, programming note reminder: we are not going to have a, Rob uh, a Robocop. We're not going to have a Robocop tomorrow night. We're not going to have a Rancor Pit tomorrow night because of the election. Uh, and then Wednesday, live from the bunker, I'm going to have Harry Glorickian on as a guest. 
He's got a book out called uh, The Future You, and he's talking about how artificial intelligence can improve your health uh, in in several different ways. I am a skeptic personally, but I'm reading his book now. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And then, of course, we've got uh, this weekend we have uh, foreign bodies and that uh, that that little that little news show that we've got on the mornings. Uh, so you can uh, find all of that. And while you're at it, you can connect with us on all sorts of different social medias. We're not on we're not on Truth or Snapchat or Mastodon yet. So uh, there's that. And uh, you can find us on all of those. Rumble and Odyssey, we do need to get our numbers up over there. Rumble, we need to get to at least 100 subscribers so we can start live streaming uh, on Rumble if we decide to do that. So go find us over there. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Good night, guys. We will do this again next week. Bye. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 